My name is Justin, one of the elders here. It's, it's good to be with you uh, here at the Soldatna High School Auditorium. Uh, if you want to be with us next week, we're going to be up in Anchorage at the Alaska Airlines Arena. <laughs> so watch out, Prevo. Too soon. Last time I was in uh, the auditorium here at Sohai uh, was for the production of Annie a few years ago. I think we actually have Annie here with us this morning, and maybe even Daddy Warbucks too, uh, so that's exciting. Uh, and uh, I thought I could actually turn this morning's message into a Broadway show. Does, does that sound good? I thought, the sun has come out this morning. <laughs> Bet your bottom tithe dollar that this morning. Okay, let's not do that. We're actually, we're just going to continue, if you haven't been with us uh, on Sunday mornings, we're going to continue through our our study on the book of Exodus. Now, you might say, wait a second, we're preaching about the resurrection, we're celebrating the resurrection today, Justin. Why would we be in Exodus? Well, I think, actually, the passage we're at in this morning is perfect for Resurrection Sunday, because we're going to see the story of Israel being raised from the dead as God's new people. And brothers and sisters, that's what we're here to celebrate this morning. But, and this is huge, guys, this is not just some story. It's a dramatic story, and and actually it's good to be on a literal stage, because it's not just a drama. We're going to see this morning, this is a musical But it's not just a nice story to to compliment Easter brunch that we just had and then to to a precursor to your Easter egg hunt coming up this afternoon in the three feet of snow outside. This is true history. This this points us to the even greater historical truth of the resurrection of Jesus that he is risen. Come on, y'all. He is risen. And the most important thing in our lives is how will we respond to this resurrection truth? See, we all come into this auditorium in different places this morning. So, some of us have been drugged here, dragged for ham dinner, right? Not unless a family member, right? You're held hostage for ham dinner, right? Not unless you come to church. That's my, your grandma in my head. Um, that you come in indifferent to Jesus. That, that he's just a myth, uh, that, that this is just, that your life is, very, is fine, thank you very much. Maybe you come in this morning racked by the concerns and fears of this life. Hurts, habits, and, and hang-ups. And you're curious about Jesus at best, but not sure if, if there's any connection to, to your real life, if he's relevant to, to, to make a difference. And some of you come into this room this morning excited to lift high the name of Jesus. Some of you are pumped up, and yet, maybe you're not walking in the fullness of what it means to trust and obey our risen Savior. The Bible tells us a story, and it claims this story is true, that Jesus is alive, that he has defeated sin and death forever, and that one day he's coming back to reign as king over all of humanity, over all the universe, forever and ever we have to do something about that. Like, we can ignore it. We can disbelieve it. We can hate it. We can embrace it. But the Bible says Jesus is alive, and we have to respond. So I want to look at this morning, I want to look at Israel's resurrection. And I want to look at their response to God. And in that, I want us to, for us, to each of us, in each of us in this room this morning to consider 
the resurrection truth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and consider our response to him as well. And so, Lord, I'm just asking that you would stir our hearts to believe that Jesus is alive and that we would be completely changed by that truth. That is something only your spirit living and active in your word that is living and active can do. So we put all of our trust in what you're going to do this morning, Father. Two truths I see from our passage today. The first one is a resurrection by God himself. We see a redirection of God here at the beginning of our story. Now, if you haven't been with us, uh, Israel's been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. That God had brought 10 crazy plagues through Moses to finally let his people go, huh, free, yeah, 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 yeah. Chapter 14 picks it up. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal-Zephon. I'm getting my pronunciation on. Facing it by the sea, Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, They are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. So let's look at a map here, kind of what, what's going on. Israel's been freed from Exodus, uh, but then you can see there's a real short route up north there along the Mediterranean to get to the, to, to the land of Canaan, the promised land. But look at what God says. He says, stop, turn around, and go down in front of that huge body of water. Now, this is a terrible strategy by God, right? Why would you lead them this way? Well, he tells them why he's doing what he's doing in verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. See, God says, what did we say a couple weeks ago? The most important thing about us is what we, comes into our mind when we think about God. And his concern here is for his own glory, that Israel would see his glory and know that he is the Lord, that Egypt would see his glory and know that he is the Lord. And that's the most important thing for us in this room today is to see his glory and know that he is the Lord. And Pharaoh takes the bait. Verse five, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, what have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. Pharaoh goes, I'm an idiot. Why did I just release all of my free labor? Let's go get him. He's got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of his best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea. So this is the drama the most powerful army on earth, their former captives are hunting them down and here they are pinned against the Red Sea. I mean, imagine that. We're pit up against the cook inlet with nowhere to go, right? What are we gonna do? God, what are you doing? Why did you lead us here? You just saved us and now we're gonna die. These people need to see how powerful his saving resurrection power is so that his new people will trust him and obey him going forward on their journey. God used the exact same strategy when he sent his son to the cross. Satan thought he had Jesus all pinned up against the Red Sea of the cross, but what did we just sing? Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost, but then Jesus arose 
with our freedom in hand. It's when death was arrested and my life began. God wanted to leave no doubt who would get all the glory for what was about to happen through the crucifixion and through the resurrection. Let's look at Israel's reaction to this situation. Think about, how would I react? Uh, Secondly, we see in their reaction here in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. That sounds good, but now hear what's coming out of their hearts. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? I like in their, in their hopelessness, they still have their Jewish uh, sensibility of humor, right? What? Better burial plots out here, right? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And you hear what he said, to die in the wilderness. They respond in fear. Uh, understandable, right? And given their, their context, but they don't believe. They've just witnessed the 10 plagues of God. They've just seen him rescue them out of Egypt the night before. But now they're going... Moses, we told you, we stinking told you it would be better in Egypt. And can you imagine, think about what they're saying. It would be better to go back where we had been in bondage as a people for 400 years. But they say, the saying is the devil you know is what? It's it's better than the devil you don't know. And and here is a group of people say, at least we knew what we were, what our lives looked like in, in Egypt. And don't we do the same thing? When we start to follow Jesus, maybe, maybe you're newer on your journey or you've been with him for a while, but man, when we start to follow Jesus, we start to see that those sinful adult pacifiers get stripped away from us. And now, so a lot of our, our coping me- mechanisms, uh, a lot of our self-medication and the addictions and how we dealt with anger and, and we, we hid and we distract ourselves, those things start to get taken away. We start to throw a similar tantrum to Israel. I want to go back to Egypt at least, at least that pornography numbed the pain. At, at least that bottle distracted me. At least when I was, I didn't have the, But what good news, that here on the shores of the Red Sea, God is not about to save these people because of how awesomely trusting and obedient they are. He is about to save them because he loves them and has already made a promise to them. And that's my only hope, too, is that God didn't and is not going to save me because of how awesome of an obedient son I am or how trusting of a son I am to him, but because he loves me and he made a promise to me. So what are Moses' directions to this fearful, unbelieving crowd? It says in verse 13, but Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Hallelujah. The Lord will fight for you. And you must be quiet. You hear his directions. Do not fear. Stay put. Stand right where you are and see. Watch and see and be quiet. That's a hard one especially for guys like me. It's a lot easier to do something, isn't it? 
It's a lot easier to, to, to say something, to try something in our own efforts. But he's saying, Moses, my people, you cannot save yourself, clearly. But shush, grab the popcorn and the three-dimensional glasses and watch your Savior fight for you. The Christian life is not about what we can do to become better people. It's about what Christ has done through the cross and the empty tomb, that he fought the battle for us. And it's about what he's doing today, fighting our battles for us. So let's be quiet and watch. Watch Israel's recreation. Here's your resurrection story in Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Uh, it actually, it used this word. This is Resurrection Sunday. The word resurrect, uh, it actually, it comes from the Latin re, which means again, and, and surge to, to rise. So literally it means to rise again, to resurrect, to resurge. Kind of like we're seeing a resurgence today of old styles. Uh, for example, the mullet. All my Kenai brown bears. Weirdos. Like I just... But you're a hockey player, so I'm not going to make fun of you, all right? And the mustache? Okay, let's just keep going. Um, just like Noah through the flood, Israel is about to experience new life through the waters of death. A resurging, a resurrecting, a recreation as life is given to them See, in Exodus 14, this is fascinating, we see echoes. The biblical authors here are riffing on the first two pages of your Bible. When God created the first time, what we're seeing here is a new creation of his people, just like we saw with, with Noah and his family through the floodwaters. And you look at the details here. This is, this is so cool to see. So it starts out, it, 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 so it refers to this cloud, which was God's presence. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. And look at what happens with that cloud. It lit up the night. And neither group came near the other all night long. So there's a separation. And in the middle of the darkness, what happens? There's light. And what do we see on page one of our Bible? Oh, excuse me. Let's see, where are we at here? Oh, there we go. Even before that, pretend like I said that in a, in a second. So, verse 21, then the Lord, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind. So it actually, even we see out this wind moving along the water. And, and that word for wind is the Hebrew word ruach. Everybody say ruach. It's a fun one. Get all your Easter brunch extras out. But that word for wind, ruach, is actually the same Hebrew word as the word for spirit or life. And what do we see on page one of our Bible? We see verse two of Genesis one, the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The ruach of God just like the wind in Exodus hovering over the waters as the Spirit is paving the way to recreation life here in Exodus, just like he did with creation back in Genesis 1. And then, so look in verse 20, how the darkness of the cloud lit up. So that actually echoes back to day one, right? What it got is as the world was just darkness and water, he speaks into the darkness and says, let there be 
light. And there was light, separation of darkness and night, just like we see here in our story. Then what happened with that wind that was moving along the waters? And he t- it turned the sea into what? Dry land. So the waters were divided. So here at the Red Sea, there's a separation of water and what appears is dry land. What happened on day three of creation? There was a separation of waters and what appeared dry land. And then what do we know from the creation story? What comes out appears on the dry land? People and animals. And what do we see here in Exodus? And the Israelites, God's new people with all of their livestock, went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Just like on day six, when on that new dry land appears animals and humans. The pinnacle of God's creating work here, what comes out through the other side of a son. And what do we see? Nation, that he calls in Exodus chapter four, my son. And what do we see in the pinnacle of creation? His son, as Luke calls him in his genealogy, his new people. We see a creation story here. God creating a people for his glory, just like back in Genesis. But it's not, it's not roses for everybody here. We also see the decreation of Egypt. We see the decreation. Pharaoh and his posse, the wheels literally start to come off here. Verse 23, the Egyptians set out in pursuit, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down from the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. The wheels are actually coming off. Like we said, Let, let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt, which is just what he said he would do. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians and on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. Complete victory from Yahweh. And what do we see here? Just like we just saw the creation of God's new people, we see a decreation here. We see creation in reverse. Reverse, reverse, right? Like a VCR. Remember, you remember some of you remember those, right? Go rewind, right? We're seeing creation, but in reverse. What, what, what do we see? The, the water coming back over the dry land. We see those that were alive on land moving toward death and darkness. We're all the way back to pre-creation. This is also some divine payback because what happened in the beginning of our story in Exodus? It was the Egyptians throwing the Hebrew baby boys into the waters of death in the Nile. And here we see a glimpse of God's justice, his retribution for what has been done as they themselves are now being hurled into the waters of death. This also foreshadows the true and better that we have in Jesus Christ. Just like not one single one of them survived, we're gonna see, uh, fast forward to Revelation, a mighty angel picked up a stone like a, a large millstone and threw it where? Into the sea, saying in this way, Babylon, the great city, and Babylon represents the evil, sin, the sinfulness of humanity. 
It will be thrown down violently and never be found again. And not just that, but the, the, the ringleader. Chapter 20, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. And as our boys in the sandlot say, they're going to be there forever. First Corinthians, weird verse. It says, now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's a weird, what, what does that mean? That the people of Israel were baptized into Moses. Well, the word baptized means to place into. And there's an identity here that says, as Moses went, so went the people. That the, the people of Israel were following Moses' path. Because if you remember, this is very similar to how Moses' story starts at the beginning of Exodus where Moses is born under a death sentence from Pharaoh, that he, one of those baby boys, would be thrown into the Nile River. But what happens? It's through that very sentence of death, those floodwaters, that he is preserved through his little ark. And Moses is saved through the waters of death unto life to become the deliverer of Israel. And now we see a similar birth story for the entire nation. As Moses went through the waters of death to life, now the whole nation becomes God's new son, a deliverer for the world, as they pass through death unto new creation life. And just like Moses went first, and then his people were baptized into him, brothers and sisters, this morning we celebrate that Jesus Christ went first. And that we follow him as we are now baptized into, placed into Christ. See, on the original Good Friday, Jesus actually became Egypt for us. He, he took the punishment that was due each of us. He took it on himself as though he was the enemy of God. God's own son treated like his enemy. So that we, who really were the enemy in our sin, could be called his loved sons and daughters. And he entered through the floodwaters of death and judgment for us. He was judged so that we wouldn't be. You see, in this, the, the Red Sea here, we see both judgment and salvation. We see judgment for the Egyptians. We see salvation for Israel at the very same time. And here on the cross, we see both judgment and salvation. Judgment for us on Jesus so that we could receive his rescuing power. But it gets better because Israel was not just freed from slavery. It wasn't like God just said, okay, I'm gonna get you on the other side of the, the Red Sea and then you're just gonna hang out in the desert for a long, long time. Well, they do, but that's because that's a, that's a couple weeks from now. He not only saved them from slavery, but he saves them to brand new life with him in the promised land. See, he wanted to, through his new people, show the world there's a better way to live. You don't have to treat each other like this. You don't have to treat me like this. And he sets apart a people for himself as they splash around in this milk and honey land, enjoying life with their God. And as we celebrate today, 
On Good Friday, we, we celebrated, the, we call it Good Friday. But the only reason that it's Good Friday is because he went in the tomb for three days, but he didn't stay dead, did he? On the third day, Jesus Christ rose again. And the good news, the good news for us, this is God's proof of purchase is the empty tomb. And Jesus, like Moses, blazed a trail through the floodwaters of death and judgment so that we could follow him through those waters of death onto dry land to resurge, to resurrect with him as his new people who are now called, as 1 John says, what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. If anyone is in Christ, just like Israel, on the other side of the Red Sea, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. But like Israel, we're not just saved from slavery to sin and death. It's not just that we're forgiven and don't have to go to hell, as great and amazing as that is. But we were saved to a new life with God here and now, but, but fully seen forever to come in the new earth when we live the rest of our lives as God's new people, which means that we can actually live the life he intended us to live, that we can actually learn what it means to get outside of ourselves. And we were born into this world. We were completely self-absorbed. All we thought about was me. Wanted to talk about I, talk about number one, oh my, me, my. But now, with the risen Savior, I can actually start to get my eyes off of myself and the much better life of loving my God and loving my neighbor, of giving, of serving, of flourishing as God's people. And what was the response of God's new people? And this is so cool. This is the last, last verse of, of, of chapter 14. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant, Moses. They turned, they saw who their God was and what he had accomplished for them. They feared and they believed. See, today we, we turn and we see the cross. We see the empty grave. And we believe in him and in his servant, the true and better Moses, Jesus himself. Our job is not to resurrect ourselves or anybody else far beyond our pay grade. Our job is faith. It's to respond to what God has already done. And that's what we see in chapter 15 is their response. So my wife and Jill and I, uh, we were introduced. Long, we, weren't, we weren't husband and wife when we were introduced. That wouldn't make sense. Um, we, so we started chatting over uh, Facebook Messenger, right? It's how we met, such a 21st century love story. Then it went to texts and calls, and I'll never forget our first FaceTime. What a 21st century thing to say. And my wife's going to be so excited that her face is that big on the screen. So what happens when you marry a pastor. Uh, when I saw her in real time for the first time, talking, smiling, looking at me, ah. And as soon as we hung up, I walked over, I floated over to the piano and I immediately started playing every cheesy love song that I could think of. It was my only appropriate response, right? Like, I, I wasn't just like, hang up. She is kind and attractive. Maybe I'll marry her. We'll see. Like, no, I, it was, I've just seen a face. I can't forget the time or place where we just met. She's just the girl for me. And I want the whole world to see we've met. Die, 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 right? <laughs> That was, 
All right, so Jesus is alive, and that's what you cheer for. There's so much repentance to do in this room. Seeing Jill's beauty led to me singing about Jill's beauty. Sweetheart, I'll get you off the screen here. We see the exact same thing going on here in chapter 15. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. See, when they saw the beauty of their God and what he had done for them, that seeing led to them singing. It was the only appropriate response that they knew to muster up. And we see the nation's first, new, first worship demands a response song. That salvation demands a response it demands a response song. When, when God does something great, he is worthy, he deserves to be praised. God gets all the glory here in the parting of the Red Sea. The people aren't bragging about, they didn't do anything except for grumble and complain and wish they were back in Egypt. And so their God, he gets all of the praise as they turn around and see what he alone had done. This is just like back at salvation and creation. In Job, we see the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. When they looked and saw what God had done at creation, they thought, no way. And they just started singing to God. And the psalmist in the book of songs says the same thing about this story. He rebuked, God did, the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the power of the adversary. He redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Water covered their foes. Not one of them remained then they believed his promise and sang his praise. And we come here this morning and we say that Jesus is alive and he is the king. And the word of God presents that not as an opinion or an idea, but as reality. And this good news demands a response from every single one of us. Philippians 2 talks about his humble descent, but it ends in the ascension of all ascensions. God highly exalted my Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every person will see him as he really is and will respond appropriately how much better for those who see and respond now. We can see it and reject it, or we can see it and we can sing about it, but we all will respond right one day. So what was their song about? It was about the God of their salvation, and there are two parts of the song. First one was what God had done. It says, they said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. Any 90s people here today? I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. All right, the, th the two people that just said yeehaw, they used to go to Peninsula Bible Fellowship. All right, we. The first 12 verses are singing what God had done, in the, just, just done through saving them in the Red Sea. But now they turn the corner, and the second half is showing what God will do in and through his people going forward. Look at all the will. Here's what you will do, God. With your faithful love, you will lead the people. 
you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. When the peoples hear, they will shudder just like the Egyptians. Anguish will seize the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. Trembling will seize the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan will panic. Terror and dread will fall on them. They will be as still as a stone because of your powerful arm until your people pass by, Lord, until the people whom you purchased pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession, Lord. You have prepared the place of your dwelling, Lord. Your hands have established their sanctuary, the holy place where they'll meet with you, your God. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The God who has just faithfully rescued us, they sing, will continue to faithfully provide our new home with him, reigning as our, his, our king forever and ever. And this is the truth that we grasp onto today as well as the believers in his church. I love what Romans, what Israel's saying on the other side of the sea. If God, then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, this is what Israel's saying on the other side of the sea. If God is for us, then who, who, what Egyptian, what Moabite, who could stand against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? There's nothing that can separate us now from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying if when we were his enemies, when we were his enemies, if he sent his only son to die on the cross in our place, now that we've been raised with Jesus and have been baptized into Jesus as his sons, what is he going to hold back from us? You think that same God won't faithfully protect you day in and day out? You think that same God won't use everything good for good in your life to make you more and more like Jesus? You think that same God won't bring Jesus back onto the earth as he has promised us to make all the sad things untrue, to make all the wrong things right, and to reign as our king forever and ever? But there's nothing that can separate us from that love now that we are in Christ Jesus. No, 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 no. You just liked when I sang about Jill. We said this story is not just a drama, it's a musical. But so you have to ask, why a song? Like, why are they singing? Why didn't they just say it? Well, a couple things here, and then we'll be done. First of all, we see that, that singing helps us remember. Sing, singing helps us remember. Most of, you're not going to leave this auditorium today singing the sermon, right? That would be weird. Number one, God's resurrection or whatever. Like, but what you will probably be doing at, at, at lunch is death was arrested in my life. I'm always humming. I'll catch myself humming while, we're, while I'm helping Jill make lunch like I do every Sunday. Um, she says, oh, you're humming the, right? So what, that's what gets in just, that's why we memorize this truth. That's why we learn it in song is it gets in us and it helps us to remember because we're so prone to forget. The same thing, we, the second reason we sing is because it helps engage our core. And just like any good physical therapist, you gotta engage the core, Right? We got to get to the core in our heart because that's where sin exists as well. See, our problem is that we want things more than we want our God, that we love things more than we love our God, that we trust things and fear things more than we trust and fear our God. And it's our heart, our desires that drive our lives. And so this is what's so beautiful about song is song stirs the affections of our hearts, stirs the loves in our hearts. It, it taps into our emotional range like nothing else. I don't know of anything else in my life 
that can, that can that get to my heart level joy and sorrow and awe of my God like singing does. Now, we're not, please hear me, we're not talking about being led by our emotions, right? That's dangerous. That's why we first see the truth as it is, and then we respond in song, emotion and desire driven by our belief of the truth. The third thing singing helps us with is it underlines our unity. It underlines our unity. Look at how the song ends. Then the prophetess Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women came out following her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, and this is the same exact line that they started with. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. Yeehaw. Now, this is why this tagline at the end. This was called an antiphon. It literally meant they, they answered them. This is a call and response. So we have a tambourine. We have a call and response. We are an overhead projector away from the mulleted 90s again, right? I will call upon the Lord. Now the women. Uh, but here's the point we see here. All of God's people are singing. Men and women, young and old, responders and leaders, one voice, all together now, we praise our Savior. And this is what God's command is for us, the church. That's why we gather. That's exactly why we're doing what we're doing here. Because God is actually, you know, God has commanded us specifically to sing? All over the Bible, but here, just check this out in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom teaching. So it's, it's based on the word, right? And admonishing one another how? Through psalms. Those are songs. Hymns and spiritual songs singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So we come together in one voice to praise our God. And really, this is just a dress rehearsal for the day when he comes back. And Revelation points us toward that that we're going to sing for eternity. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had won the victory over the beast, its image and the number of its name uh, and were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. I know there's a lot of guys in this room that are super pumped to be singing with harps for the rest of eternity. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the lamb. And what, where are they here? They're at a glassy sea singing the song of Moses reminding us of the true and better exodus, just like his people sang on the seashore. And when we come in this room together, and when we sing together in one voice, no matter our background, no matter what we've done, we come in through one name, cleansed in the blood of Jesus, and we sing to him together. So why is our resurrection response so important? What difference does it make in our lives? You know, as, as soon as Israel's song is over, where do they head? They don't go straight into the milk and honey promised land, do they? Where, where do we see them next? The wilderness. Next week, we're going to see what's the first thing that people do. They complain. They murmur. They grumble. Lord, we don't have water. You're going to kill us, right? Unbelief right away again. And I can hear Moses, Moses passively aggressive, passive aggressively humming this tune through the horse and rider into the sea. Yeehaw, right? Don't you guys remember? Man, I tell you what, this is, this is so cool. Being here together like this, like all of us in one room together, what a foretaste of glory divine. Everyone's singing in response to the resurrection. But this service will end, and you will get into your car. Your children will start to pull one another's hair. 
Easter lunch will start late. You will be mad because the ham is burnt. The annoying in-law will show up that I didn't really invite in the first place. Your kids will not go to bed because of the chocolate high. Monday, you will go back to work. And like Israel, it is so easy to snap right back to grumble, grumble, grumble. So we get these songs. We get these songs into our core to remember because my heart is just as prone to wander as theirs is. You see, this is why as Israel, looking back at the power of our God, as they looked and saw the horse heads, the soldiers' heads bobbing in the Red Sea, we must keep our eyes on the empty tomb. And this seeing, this, this seeing will lead to us singing. And I know in my life, like when, when I get to a point of sorrow, of, of desperation, when there's no truth that buoys my heart like a song, when peace like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And when I'm bombarded by temptation, the lies of the devil, and my old habits that are so hard to kick, and I find myself failing, my sin, oh the bliss, of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And I remember, I'm released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. And I behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. And singing these truths, seeing my Savior and responding in song. A lot of times we're going to sing and we're going to trust our hearts will catch up, right? But we forget. We take our eyes off our Savior. We put them onto our circumstances. We get scared. We get mad. We get distracted. So that's why, brothers and sisters, and some of us, I love, lovingly call you our CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. And we're, we're glad our CEOs are here. But I, want to lo- I love you too much. Not to- this is not about a checklist Sunday morning thing. But we need each other, church. We need- That's why we come together every Sunday to sing our hearts back to the truth of our risen Savior. That's why we gather together as a church family and love each other and pray for each other and do this. We cannot do this battle solo. So we see our Savior together. We sing to our Savior together. That's what we're going to do here in these last few songs. We're going to respond to the resurrection truth with hands lifted high. Would you pray with me? Father, your son is worthy of it all. He's worthy of all for what he's done. Like the Israelites, we, we sing about what he's done. That he has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. That sin and death have been destroyed forever because he died for us and arose. And so now, like Israel, Father, we are a new creation for those who have placed their faith in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come, because you called my name, and I ran out of that grave. That, Lord, now in you, we can be free from sin, free from addiction, free from death. 
And you invite us through the floodwaters of death onto dry land, free to run into your lap and call you Abba now and forever. We praise you for what you've done. We praise you for what you will do. The Monday morning is coming. But now with Jesus in and through us, we have a new hope and a new identity for a better way of life that takes our eyes off of ourselves, puts them on you and the people that you love and died for. Father, we will put our eyes on the one who's coming back to make all things right. And Lord, haste the day when our faith will be made sight. As we see you as you are, we'll sing to you as you deserve for all eternity in your promised land as your people. Father, your son is resurrected. That's what you tell us in your word. So now for each of us in this room, we ask, I ask that they, each soul in this room would pause for a moment. Say, how am I responding to this truth? Not my friend, not my spouse. How am I responding to this truth? And Father, if there's anyone in this room this morning that has never seen Jesus with the eyes of faith, that has never seen him and savored him as the, the beautiful, risen Savior that he is, that today would be the day. And for my brothers and sisters who, like me, are so prone to wander into the wilderness of grumbling and to dabble back in Egypt's old vices and, and, and temptations and in slavery, may we, every single one of us that are just as in need of a Savior, with one set of eyes this morning, see him there, the risen lamb, that we would also sing with one voice his praises, that he is risen. Father, we respond in joyful song, for you are worthy of it all. In your son's risen, living, beautiful name, all of God's people said. Amen. Because of Christ's sacrifice, because of his resurrection, because he conquered sin and death and walked through that valley for us so that we also can follow behind him. We can now sing to God and we can be called his children. So let's sing worthy of it all together.